the average Catholic is being called by God to get in the temporal sphere of life and live out their lay vocation. And there needs to be a realization that for the majority, that experience of mysticism is waiting for them in the mundane details of life, not despite them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and my guest today is productivity coach Andy Hickman, who created a really unique program that combines ancient philosophical principles, Christian anthropology, and modern project management techniques. This is another two-part episode, so in part one, you're going to get an overview of his principles and his program and kind of the backstory behind it. And then part two, you will get a chance to see it in action. This episode also has a video version. So if it's not already on YouTube at the time that you are listening to this, it will be there very, very shortly. And the benefit of that is is you can see what he's sharing on his screen, um, especially in part two when we um, actually go through some of um, his exercises. You also get a glimpse into a very vulnerable area of my life. Um, I would say that task management is probably something that I, one of the areas of my life that I struggled the most with. I may do a lot of things, like I, I have my job, I have my podcast, I have my house, etc. Um, but I often do things in a kind of sporadic and chaotic fashion. Um, and so it's really good for me to to be able to go back and re-listen to this episode as I was getting ready to release it. Um, definitely enjoyed speaking with Andy. I highly recommend his program um, if that's something that you are in the market for. And I'd be happy to facilitate a connection. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and whatever platform you listen to. Please rate and review. If you're not already subscribed to me on YouTube, subscribe there at um, the crab and the cross. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on X. I hate saying that Elon Musk. What did you do? I'm on Twitter X, whatever. Um, and you can also support me on Spotify. All right. And now here's part one of my conversation with Andy Hickman. Andy Hickman is the founder of Art of Workflow, a high-touch coaching practice that empowers Catholic married couples, business owners, and creators to regenerate their clarity and creativity. Andy first fell in love with sensing and articulating the structures behind ideas and behavior when studying philosophy at the College of William and Mary. Deeply passionate about the art of teaching, he has spent his entire career in education. After directing the Institute of Catholic Culture, he founded Art of Workflow, where he teaches an organic behavioral system for managing your time, to-dos, and knowledge across all areas of life. Andy's the author of Art of Workflow, the world's first comprehensive email-based book that explains the practical nuts and bolts of attention, flow, and organization in an easy-to-read format perfect for people with busy lives. He lives in Front Royal, Virginia with his lovely wife, Liz, and their three daughters, Philomena, Zosia and Anastasia. Andy. Nice. <laughs> Did I pronounce those right? 
It's I, I I need to sneak that in there. Yes, you totally did. You did a fantastic job, it's and it's always a hilarious thing at the end of the bio. We're like, oh crap. <laughs> okay, well, it's it's sort of like weird, but I was just talking with my sister the other night about like names I would want to name my future children, which is a completely hypothetical thing at this moment in time because I'm very single. But Philomena and Anastasia are two of my favorite girl names. Dude, so. let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Anastasia, I know that's how everybody pronounces it, but I'm like, no, it's Anastasia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Russian. Um, but Zosia, what is, what? is I've never heard that name before. Yeah. And you you also can pronounce it Zosha. Zosha is the Polish version of the American name Sophia. So wisdom. Oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And that's great. Uh, Front Royal. So I did my master's at Christendom. So I'm familiar with, with mm. that space a lot. Sorry about that. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> We're uh, just having fun. <laughs> I know. I, trust me. I'm the biggest one to poke fun at Christendom. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I sort of am like, I, I don't know. Well, I, I like to say there's a distinction between the graduate and the undergraduate. That's a good <laughs> distinction to make. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a great school and it's a beautiful area. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Totally. Are you a Virginia native? Yes. Yeah. Virginia boy. I was born in Arlington Hospital. Okay. And have always been in Virginia. Went oh, to college in Virginia. Yeah. 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 Got, got married in Virginia. Beautiful. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day, like, what are your traveling goals? Uh-huh. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't have any, like it doesn't even cross my really? field of vision. Yeah. Like it's, I'm not anti-travel. Okay. Um, and like if, a gun was to my head i would be like take me to switzerland <laughs> okay but you know but it's like it's not on the bucket list you know That's interesting so you've never traveled outside virginia okay no no no. sorry <laughs> okay. um not to mislead the uh listeners no i have stepped foot outside of virginia okay, okay. a couple of times okay and one time i took a very long leap over into germany okay okay and, uh, France and the Holy Land and a couple other places, but it's just not my shtick. That's fair. You're like, yeah, I've been to West Virginia. Come on now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's as international as it gets. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So I'm really excited to talk to you about um, your company workflow. And this is very timely for me because I'm feeling sort of stuck in my own professional life of like, I, I just changed careers, I guess you could say careers, this year where I went from being a teacher to now I work actually in campus ministry, which is kind of related, but yeah, it doesn't have the structure of the, the teaching environment where it's like, okay, you'd be there by eight o'clock, you have your class schedule, you know, you have your lunch break, and then, you know, you go home. Like, it's super fluid, and sometimes I'll be there until 10 p.m., so then I'm like, well, then I'm not going to come until the afternoon the next day, and it's yeah. super like nebulous and so i'm like struggling to like figure out how uh to work in that new very fluid environment Mm. yeah there's something there um just a quick thought um which is it's times like that when all the friction Mm -hmm. gets removed from our life that we recognize its value yeah, you know. absolutely. No, because I, I, I always, I'm like one to sort of rebel against the schedule. I'm like, uh, 
I'm not really a morning person. So maybe if I didn't have to be somewhere early, I would be better at, you know, being timely. And it's like, nope, <laughs> that's not the yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Chesterton has a, a funny way of putting it. He's, um, says adults have forgotten how to exult in monotony. Mm. And he talks about the rhythm of nature. And uh, when you look at a child, they love repetition. They yeah. thrive in repetition, it's, right? It's so true. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know where this comes from, but I feel like there's this sense where when you complete a task, we don't like the fact that so many tasks are just ongoing. You know, we like to complete a task and then it's done. But just realizing, for example, like, with my house, I have to do the dishes every day. Like when I do the dishes, they're done, but that's only task completed until the next meal is cooked. And then it's like, okay, I have to establish just the rhythm of cooking and cleaning. And, you know, I, I, I like to have tasks just be done and they're, and they're put away, you know? Um, yeah. And that's just mm -hmm. not life at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so let's talk about this this workflow. What and what exactly is it? Can you explain a little bit about what you what you do? Yeah, totally. So then we could break down the name art of workflow. So workflow is the ordering of work. Hmm. Okay, we use work in the broadest possible sense. So any activity that you're doing. So not just your job, but like you're describing, like the things at home too. Okay. And the ordering, <clears throat> we could even say the organizing too, which could be a whole nother conversation, yeah. but yeah, it, it's taking, taking care to, um, ensure that you are not holding an unnecessary amount of stuff in the head or in the heart Yeah, and that you are able to have a presence of mind and clarity in terms of where you, what you need to be doing what you don't need to be doing and keeping that all running without using more energy than it requires. Mm -hmm. And so there is an art to this. Um, and we're using that word specifically, for example, we're not saying the science of workflow, we're saying the art of workflow. And so when you say that there's an art to anything, you're saying that there are specific behaviors or qualities that produce excellence in that thing. So there's an art to public speaking or there's an art to listening, right? Um, and so we can get into the history if you want, but the short version of it is we studied the uh, greatest thinkers in modern productivity. And then my own personal background is in ancient and medieval philosophy. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we could take, we could jump, we could be outside of the myopic conversation around modern, modern productivity, but you know, take what's good and then synthesize it in a more holistic framework, which boils down to four behaviors. And so the art is the habituation of these four behaviors and what it looks like, what it feels like when you have habituated these things is you have total uh, presence of mind. You Things aren't falling through the cracks. You have more energy to pursue creative uh, interests of yours. And there's just, there's a sense of ease in the air as opposed to overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sold me already. <laughs> nice. When you say more energy and more creativity, I'm like, oh, I'm there. Um, so yeah. what are these four behaviors then? Yeah. So the, I'll do an, a, 
a high level overview because okay. there we could go real deep okay, into okay. to each of them. Um, and I'm sensing, I'm letting myself like take a breath here because I'm like, does it make sense to go into those four right now? I okay. first, I think there is a more fundamental thing, which is what is this all about? Mm. Um, so particularly, uh, we serve a variety of clients. Uh, I myself am Catholic, but not all our clients are. Okay. What I find, and I'd like for you to either confirm or deny this, is my general experience has been the um, average, we'll just say the average Catholic on the street, they're not seeking out things like uh, productivity or, or um, maybe even personal development. There's something in the air of like, that is either um, a cultish um, obsession around efficiency or that is like a, a, a lust for power. Um, there's some sort of thing where that conversation is left for the busy worldly people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so first we have to understand like, well, what, it, wait, let's get back on the same page in terms of what is work. If we get on the same page of that, then we have context for why we would want to learn an art for ordering work. And then the four behaviors have something to latch into or they, they resonate more. And so just to quickly get, get into it, which is when, when we we have the, the fullest picture of what work is. And what that is, is it is the profound and wildly unimaginable honor of cooperating with God. And it doesn't matter what vocation you're in, it's this what it ultimately, ultimately boils down to is that we are co-creators with the creator. And so when we get to... Um, um, the ordering of our work, it's not about efficiency first and foremost. It is about ordering our lives so that we can better love and be loved. And whether you are um, a parent and you're like in the thick of it of doing diapers or you or some high level CEO and you've got tons of people to manage, whatever, we want to make sure that the the there is a we're not opposing these two things, which is the uh, mysticism and mundane. And our philosophy is that the mystical life for the vast majority of people is not to dismiss the more kind of classic images of the mystical life of um, states of ecstasy and okay that that's all real. It's not saying that that's not real, but the average Catholic is being called by God to get in the temporal sphere of life and live out their lay vocation. And there needs to be a realization that for the majority, that experience of mysticism is waiting for them in the mundane details of life, not despite them. And so when we have that frame of mind, now it's like, okay, of course I want to be more intentional about the schedule for doing dishes, or of course I want to make sure that there's time to pursue this hobby or do this because 
now we have the full taste in the mouth of what that even is all about. Yeah. No, I think it's, I've noticed that in my own life because I think I, um, you know, I started growing more in my faith as I got into college and, and continued to deepen it as time went on. And as I got more into my adulthood, I realized that I was very imbalanced. Like I'd put so much effort yeah. towards piety and religion, which is obviously good and most important, but it wasn't carrying over into the rest of my life. And I, and I, I kept thinking yeah. like, what's wrong with me? Like I have grace, I have the sacraments. I should be better at the human things, you know, grace builds on nature, but I, I was noticing that like, my human nature was almost stunted in a way. And I, yeah. I noticed that in other Catholics too, where we try so hard to be faithful that the more foundational areas of our life just can go by the wayside. We're like, well, I said the rosary today, but you know, all these other tasks are left undone. And it's, it just, there's this imbalance to it. There is an imbalance and it's, uh, I'm not saying this to imply that this is a, a, an intentionally adopted belief or even a formally adopted belief, but a lot of it is like Gnosticism is the heresy that never dies. Mm, right. Yeah. And it's always just hanging out. Right. <laughs> and, and so it takes on different forms. And one of these forms is a, um, an opposing of these two things, which are supposed to be together. And it's not like, you know, the, Catechism has, um, I'll paraphrase it, and then uh, if people want the notes or whatever, you can put it in. But in the section on prayer, it talks about um, many people uh, unconsciously believe prayer is something that takes them away. It's like a pause on life, or it's a pause on doing where it is. It's it's not. That's not what it is. We're not hitting a spiritual pause button when we um, speak to a friend or we mow the lawn or whatever. Um, and yeah, and we we get this, and this will relate to workflow. Yeah. When you look at the person, God created humans with he designed them in a particular way to communicate something. It wasn't just to randomly assemble things, right? But in the human person, we have a, a bridge, so to say, between the spiritual and the material. And um, so just any human being walking around is a reminder to us that it, we're all supposed to be living this life of a um, seamless cloak, right? Where th there's... You can't, um, I think St. Jose Maria says like, there's a point in which you can't identify or point to where your prayer life begins or ends because it's just all one thing, wow. right? So this relates to what these four behaviors are because um, one thing that we'll stress is like when people come in, they feel overwhelmed. They think to immediately go to the field of productivity. Mm, yeah. And what we suggest is don't start with productivity, start with anthropology. You need to have a sound understanding of what a human is, because if you don't, you're gonna approach the process of cognition or what it means to think about something in an imbalanced or handicapped way. 
And it's only through a proper understanding of what exactly thinking even is that you can get your thinking to make more sense or to be more clear. Okay. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, just there's one, one section from the catechism and then we'll, we'll tie this into the four behaviors. Okay. This is, um, uh, three, six, five paragraph three, six, five. And, um, <clears throat> the unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body, i.e., it's because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. Okay, all good and important, but here where this is where we like lean forward. Yeah. Spirit and matter in man are not two natures united. There's a we'll fill in what it says after that, but it's worth pausing there because most people, if, if someone put a gun to their head, it was like, what's a human. They'd be like, it's spirit and matter together. Right. Right. But there's a further distinction. It's not these two natures united, but rather I'm quoting the catechism here, but rather their union forms a single nature. Mm. So, the four behaviors are, are an ecosystem of actions, actual behaviors that you can do that what when you do them regularly, you make sense. And we're going to get into that because we mean that very literally. You make sense of what's stuck in the head or in the heart, usually both, through the reintegration of of your bodily senses into what you were artificially thinking of as just a thinking process. Okay. Um, so real quick, the, the, the behaviors are called collecting, processing, moving, and reviewing. Mm -hmm. There's uh, a tremendous amount of content on each of these behaviors in our story that you mentioned at the beginning. So I'll just like bookmark that for the listener. If you want more details, all of it's free. If you go to artofworkflow.com. Collecting is the recognizing of what's on one's mind and then the practice of externalizing that in some loose and light way. Um, processing, so so that can be, if someone's collecting a lot, think right. of like the desk with filled with sticky notes. Mm -hmm. Okay? You can have a desk with no sticky notes on it and you could be in a lot more trouble than the seemingly messy person that has the sticky notes, right? Because they are at least recognizing and they're incarnating in some way what's pulling on them. And then you have the situation of, well, like, how do I organize this? Okay. And to simplify it, that's what processing does. It organizes the thing. And then everything gathers dust just because it's organized now doesn't mean it's going to be organized a week from now or two weeks. And so reviewing is this behavior that basically maintains a sense of order. It keeps you in touch with stuff. You can have very clear lists. You still have to decide it at any given moment. What am I going to do? How do I choose things? And so that's the behavior of moving, which is learning to synchronize your reason with your intuition and with whatever stuff you've externalized so that when you're making decisions, it's easy. You're not overthinking it and it's, you're making an effective decision. It's the right decision. So that's it in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah. I, I think 
I mean, that, that resonates a lot with me. I see this in myself, but I also saw this in my students where they kind of had this vague sense or I have this vague sense often of like this looming to-do list and then it becomes paralyzing in the sense where you're like, I don't know what to do first. I don't yeah. know how to manage my task list. And so then the procrastination comes in where it's like, I'm just going to do this other thing that's going to like calm my nervous system, you know, like go on my phone or watch something on TV and like avoid like these very avoidant behaviors. And then yeah. somehow we're like, yeah. And then maybe the task list will become more manageable, like <laughs> after this, you know, but I think there's, it, it's almost like in my mind, you know, I have 50 tabs open and then I'm like, I'm just going to close the computer right now. Cause I can't even sort through the tabs at this moment. Yeah. So Mary Rose, uh, you just use a phrase, which is exactly right. Which is where were those tabs open in my mind? Right. right. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is exactly why we get to the point where we feel like we can't figure it all out or we can't manage it because we can't in our mind. Mm. And so, uh, we could go into quietness here a little bit in terms of how does, how does this relate? Like, why are we thinking that all this should be in our mind? Yeah. And what's a good reason as Catholics for us to understand that it shouldn't. Hmm. Okay. Should we go there? Yeah. Let's <clears throat> Yeah. Because, well, I'm, I'm intrigued even by what you said when you quoted the catechism, because yeah, I think, and, and I feel almost embarrassed to say this because like, I've, I've also studied philosophy. I've studied theology, but I think in my own perception, I also just thought of, yeah, a human person is the union of matter and spirit, you know? Exactly, I, yeah. Like, um, in, in, in a way, it makes sense when we think about death in the sense of like the soul leaving the body. It seems like there's a way to separate yeah. it, but it's kind of like cutting cutting something in half where it's not two holes. It's, you know, it's been divided. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Aquinas is pretty stumped in terms of what does it even mean to exist hmm, yeah. between when we die here and yeah. when we get our glorified body right because right. we're not in a sense in a sense we're not human during that time yeah and so that should be mysterious right for us. right wow absolutely yeah i mean it there's there's a lack it's um it's not even just a separation it's a complete division Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay, so so what does he have to say about this issue of trying to keep things in your mind? Um and, and how does mm -hmm. he sort that out? Yeah. So what we'll do is I'll to visually contextualize this. Uh what I generally the the, the short of it is in the first part of the Summa when we get down into the creation of man, we have questions like um, <clears throat> the state of Adam's soul. Or sorry, let me go back up a little bit here. Operations. Okay. And just, I'll say for those who are just listening, he's pulling up um, a text of the Summa online and, and showing us uh, how, how it's divided into topics. Yeah. So under operations, we have things like... Um, how the soul, when united to the body, understands corporeal things beneath it. 
specifically through what, which is article uh, or question 84, through what does it know them? And so we're drilling down into that. There's more to it, but just to simplify it here. So once we drill into question 84, which is how the soul while united to the body understands corporeal things beneath it, we have article six, does it acquire intellectual knowledge from the senses? When we come in here, we have more than makes sense to go into now, but I'll just highlight certain things. Okay. Where he starts off with the objection that, no, this doesn't happen, right? As in uh, intellectual knowledge is not derived from sensible things. And he quotes St. Augustine on this. Um, it would seem that intellectual knowledge is not derived from sensible things. For Augustine says that we... Uh, quote, we cannot expect to learn the fullness of truth from the senses of the body, end quote. And this he proves blah, 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 blah. And he, you know, he sets up Augustine's argument. Now, just to jump to the, on the contrary, and what he ultimately answers is he says, the philosopher, of course, he's referring to Aristotle here, says that the principle of knowledge is in the senses. So I'm going to pause here and provide some context. When he cites Aristotle there, he's citing him from uh, Aristotle's work, the metaphysics. And in the beginning of one of the books in the metaphysics, Aristotle starts this conversation and he says, all men desire to know. And then he backs that up with this line. And this is where Aquinas is citing him from. He says, we know this, that is, we know that all men desire to know. We know this by the delight all men take in their senses. Hmm. Now, to the modern ear, like, what are you talking about? We're talking about knowledge, like this gassy (laughs) thing. Like, we're not talking about our senses and how we delight in them. But this just shows that there's a gap in the modern mind in terms of what exactly is a human, which is coming through a lot of things, obviously beginning, not beginning, but a big part of it is Descartes and what he brings in with a dualistic view. But this this is what Aquinas is pointing to is that the senses are intimately involved with the knowledge. Now, later Aquinas will say that the material, um, the material senses, or sorry, the, the physical senses are the material cause of intellectual knowledge. Mm -hmm. The material cause of intellectual knowledge. And now that's for the the academic scholarly people, they can take that and run. For the everyday people, we see this in phrases that we use all the time. We say if something doesn't, if we don't comprehend it, we say that it is nonsense. Mm. Or when it finally clicks, we go, oh, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Or we're talking about common sense. Something else, uh, I was reading this uh, commentary and some other thing, and they used the phrase uh, to bring to the senses. So like someone said something and brought me to my senses. Right, right. All of these are hints in everyday phrases that we use of like, there's an intimate connection between what's going on up here and what's going what's coming in through these things. Right. right. And so, um, yeah, so we can do some exercises, but the short of it is 
things are, you have so much on your mind because you have so much on your mind and you're not letting it, you're not letting the rest of you be incorporated in the act of literally making sense mm. of what's taking up space in your head. Mm. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, even, you know, people say, Oh, I see it. Um, or, you know, when, yeah. when you comprehend something, um, Although yep. it does bring up an interesting question. This is very, very tangential, but you know, people who have, uh, who are lacking certain sense experiences, you know, blind, deaf, whatever, like mm-hmm. they're, they're able to still think and still comprehend. Um, and so it's, I, I think somebody could make, could raise that as an objection to say, well, if people who lack certain sense experiences have, you know, the same capacity for intellection, it makes it seem like it's not a physical sensory experience. Well, when you look at neuroplasticity, it's, it's not like they don't have any senses. Yeah. yeah. It's just the rest of their senses do more. Right. Right. So the, the real like devil's advocate, which I think backfires on the objection is we'll take all the senses out of, out of the picture. Yeah. So, um, there's an interesting line from Sertiage. He is, he's the author of the book, The Intellectual Life, which is popular in some Catholic academic circles. He says, minds can only communicate through the body. Hmm. And he says, it's as ridiculous to say the soul alone understands as is to say alone that it builds or that it weaves. As in, here's one example. Take two people in the same room, put them in the same room. Okay, now take away their sight and take away their sense of touch and take away their ability to hear. Go down through all the lists. Once all that's gone, have them communicate to each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, I... I don't know now. Now with people talking about these Neuralink things and you know AI and brain brain technology, it's like maybe we will be able to telepathically communicate. What's going to create the phantasms in the mind? Yeah, no, I mean it's true. It wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to do it. Like maybe you could do it after you've you've acquired knowledge through the senses, and then later yeah. on, you know, you can communicate in this kind of technological way but it's not if you start from like birth it's, it's yeah. probably not gonna work which is hopefully where we're all starting from <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the general trajectory yeah um, <laughs> i don't know okay so this is this is really interesting so then how does this connect to so we're, we're talking about thinking we're talking about how we acquire knowledge um but then how does this relate to productivity and uh, yeah. yeah, the workflow essentially? Yeah, and so let's do some fun things together. So the before we get into the hands-on stuff, mm-hmm. um, people, w- when you talk to them and they're overwhelmed or people go to productivity because they feel disorganized or they feel like they can't, they don't have any space to think or they're unclear about things. All of these um, are resolved through clarity. And if we, how this relates to getting clarity is if thinking is not a mental activity, 
but rather a personal activity, you can think better. You can enhance the quality of your thinking if you're integrating the senses into it. Okay. And so you can get to clear, you can get to a deeper state of clarity and you can get there faster. If instead of just spinning the conversation up in your head, right. you're bringing, you're bringing the senses into it. And so we can now play around with that and I could show you some stuff what this actually looks like. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Did you have questions before we do that? Or you want to just well, it's, jump in? It's one of those things where it's like, we could go there. There's so much depth to it. Like you said, cause I think naturally I want to go towards the hands-on and say like, well, how can this help me? Like what, what, how is this going to affect my life? But yeah, there, there's, there's such a deep foundation to it. And so maybe before we get to the practical, I'm just curious a little bit more about kind of the story behind this, you know? Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. How did you even come to these realizations and then realize the application? Like, did you, experience something in your own life where you're just noticing things in others because um, this is like a very mm -hmm. this is this is just not a, a a direction that i see people take you know thomas aquinas right <laughs> they, they often stay in the very ethereal mental contemplative um yeah. and i think that's why so many people don't like philosophy is because they think it's just thinking all in your head and trying to you know hold on to as many propositions at once so that you can reason through things, you know? Mm, yeah, so there was, it's actually in Sertiash's The Intellectual Life, he talks about it being intellectually imbalanced and you can get too sucked in and heady and he has yeah. this description where you're like, oh, that that stings. Or like, I, I know what he's talking about. It's like, there's some people that when they talk to you, you just feel like they're just trying to find the premise yeah. to fit into some syllogism that they're yeah. playing around in here. Yeah, and I think, I, <laughs> ironically, that's when people get into the realm of may, I don't know, maybe conspiracy theory or maybe just these weird ideas because they want all their ideas to cohere, you know? And so when something mm -hmm. doesn't fit, they have to, like, maneuver all of their thoughts to fit that one, like, you know, odd proposition. And then, you know, the whole thinking just gets sort of uh twisted yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> which is just a notice that all our images for thinking have a physical reference point like our thoughts get twisted mm, yeah no, right for sure, yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah okay so yeah how did i get into this um <clears throat> so i'll tell you a story where like it kind of the the problems and the solutions kind of like delighted with each other um and then i'll let the other things backfill from there okay so <clears throat> yeah for me a significant time for this started um when i was running the uh institute of catholic culture and um it was a awesome team awesome work um not balanced from a work-life kind of thing, okay? Yeah. Um, and yeah, before going into a staff meeting, I am in my office with my shirt off and I'm awkwardly strapping a uh, tense machine to the back of my neck. Have you ever heard of a tense machine? No. <laughs> so <clears throat> this is uh, not a worthwhile productivity hack for people okay. to pursue. Okay. But <laughs> this uh, tense machine is a, a, a electrical unit that um, will shoot 
currents through you to basically try to shock a muscle out of a state of uh, tension. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like the antithesis of what art of workflow is, okay. but at the time, <laughs> at the time, it was like I'm going to force nature into my, you know, uh, plans. So I'm here. I am in the staff meeting, and I'm there's a conversation going on, and we're um, <clears throat> with good intention over committing to another project, and I'm like hearing this, and my like neck is convulsing because electric electricity <laughs> shouldn't do it and i'm like man it dawns on me it's like i i actually don't know which is more painful like the electricity <laughs> going through going through my neck or the fact that i'm gonna go home tonight and tell liz that yeah next sunday i'm not gonna be there with the family mm -hmm. again okay yeah all right and so uh, it is the latter. The electricity is not the more painful of those two. <laughs> I came to find out. Well, so Liz and I have this conversation and um, she expresses how things are, you know, how she's feeling. We've got kids at home and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so I get defensive and uh, which is not another productivity hack I recommend. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I storm out of uh, uh, the our room that we were having the conversation. I go towards my front door. And in between me and my front door is my daughter's stroller. My daughter's not in the stroller, just note. I, in a surprised fit of anger, I kick this stroller as hard as I can. And I remember breaking it. Like, and I remember hearing the pieces of that stroller, like hit the ground and just being like, what, <laughs> what have I become? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was like, it was that shattering of those things that, um, was a significant enough wake up call to be like, what is going on? And I, I was surprised by my anger in that moment. But what surprised me more was the recognition of my own apathy. Mm. There was a, there was a realizing that I was not just stressed. I was bored. Hmm. Yeah. And so it was clear that it's like, this is whatever I'm doing is not sustainable. Yeah. And whatever would provide sustainability, it needs to do a couple things all at once. It needs to uh, make the organizing and executing of actions easy. It needs to be able to do that, not just at work, because if I get really good at that, the mind loves to hang out wherever there's structure. We were talking about your career transition, right? Right. When the structure goes away, it's like you, we feel disoriented. So if I have a really dang good system to manage my work at work, <clears throat> if there is an imbalance in how I organize work, there's always going to be work-life imbalance. So this needs to be something that I could use at home and at work. And it needed to be able to not just help me get more stuff done, mm -hmm. but get back in touch with my creativity. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like transitioning from college where you got you have that social network and you're always eating dinner with friends and you're always playing. Okay, then all of a sudden you're like 10 years into the game. You're like, dang, I'm becoming the boring suburban dad. I swore <laughs> I would never become, you know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, so then I just, I, I saw that need and then I saw a couple things supporting 
the finding of the solution to that need. So I, it's a story for another time, but I had gone through a neurotic breakdown in high school. And um, what that ultimately resulted in is that I had a very detailed map of the inside of the mind. I mm. knew how that worked. Yeah. I had the um, educational background to be able to view productivity from a higher vantage point and integrate the knowledge of the human person into the conversation so that you weren't just becoming addicted to like cranking through to-do lists, but you were using this to do a higher and more holistic goal. Yeah. And then also as a parent, like I didn't have time to come up with a super complicated thing that requires like this really nifty color coding system. And you know what I mean? Like it had, it was going to be ruthlessly practical Mm -hmm. and all of these were good things. So I spent about four years uh, studying different thinkers, David Allen, Drucker, Covey, but also thinkers that were more familiar in my circles, Aquinas, uh, Aristotle, uh, Sertiage, and synthesize this. My background was in teaching, synthesize this so that it was a practical framework that could be easily taught and learned. And so that's where it comes into distilling all this into not just four principles or four theories, but four behaviors. Because once something is behavior, it can be coached a lot easier yeah. um, and it just becomes very practical. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's where this came from. Okay. So you kind of had this, this almost rock bottom-ish moment where you were like, something has <laughs> to change. And then you went about, I don't know, fi- trying to find the solution through, through sort of research. And then that led you to a realization that it's, it's more about like behavior than just the right, um, I don't know, First principles, maybe? Yeah. Well, I saw because I was raised Catholic, I had this very like rich and high view of man. Right. And of our ability to reason. Um, the existence of the soul was always there. Right. So it's like, I think if you, not I think, if you have a materialistic view of man, you're not going to think that there's that much potential in terms of what you can do with your own innate abilities. Um, And then I was actually pursuing a a master's at the time through theology. And uh, I was in a class that was, uh, it was moral theology and the professor in like 10 minutes of this class mentioned um, Aquinas's distinction of the acts of the intellect and the acts of the will. And this was the first time that I had ever heard a further breakdown. I always just had humans different than animals because intellect and will like yeah. reason and, and choice. Yeah. But then I heard the will it, itself, if it's proper to talk about it that way, um, Aquinas distinguishes six acts that the will does and six acts that the intellect does. And uh, I found this really fascinating. I'm just going to show a visual real quick. Um, So I ended up writing a research paper mapping out uh, Aquinas's psychological analysis of voluntary action Mm. and showing how that explains why modern productivity methods to the extent that they work, work. Wow. So we 
we uh, synthesize domestic psychology with David Allen's getting things done method mm. because David David's always going to be the king when it comes to action management and attachment management. Um, but what he was asserting, which is unique, especially within modern writers, is that the way to clarify action is independent of personality traits, of gender, of your profession. But he just left it as like, and so therefore it's awesome. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But, but I want to be able to go in and be like, we can state something like this because there's a reality called human nature, mm -hmm. which we all have. And Aquinas gives us these really awesome detailed explanation of what goes on in the mind when we're thinking through things. And then if this is true, why don't we build an art from the ground, not from the ground up, but from let human nature be the ground Yeah. and then build an art for making sense based off of that shared uh, human nature. And uh, so, yeah, so that's the background. Okay. Wow. Yeah, because I, I think um, I, well, I, I think I can get stuck in the, the life of the mind, you know, uh, and, and it's it's kind of like what St. Paul says, like, I know the good, but I can't do it. You, you know, right. the sort of how things ought to be, what the effect should be, what your life should look like, how it should be ordered. But, you know, you know, right from wrong, but bringing that into being through your own life is is i think where a lot of people get stuck you know they're like how do i actualize all of these principles yeah well so let let's get our hands dirty and okay. let's have some fun